What's yours, Liz? That's the that's the question. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's really nice today. It's probably gonna only get up to like I don't know, seventy-five. Thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess you know you combine that with like bone dry humidity and uh, winds and fire, so we get our own stuff going on. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. Welcome camper friends and family to the Campwire podcast. My name is Kyle Winkle. I work with the American Camp Association where I get to do PR and communications for the association. I'm super excited to have you listening today. We got a great conversation with uh, Liz Kimmelman, who is with Tumbleweed Day Camp out in Los Angeles, California. And we also are speaking with Andy Schlensky with North Star Camp for Boys in Hayward, Wisconsin. And really excited conversation. We're going to touch on fall camp programs, especially during times of e-learning and distance learning and what that relationship looks like with the students and the parents. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, off-season programming in general. And we're also going to talk about what kind of things that we learned that can help us look forward to summer 2021 and how we can continue to serve our camper communities and we really hope that you enjoy the conversation and we're going to dive into what their programs look like and learn about their successes and their stories uh, right after a word from our sponsor. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Camp Brain. Camp Brain is an intuitive and complete camp software package built with care and you, the camp pro, in mind. They take pride in building long-lasting relationships through their amazing support and love that they show to each client. Camp Brain is not only focused on your needs for summer 2021, but for your next 25 summers. For more information, visit them at campbrain.com. I would love to just kind of jump right into it. Um, obviously, we're talking about fall camp programs. Um, I know they look really differently for each of you. Let's go ahead and start and talk about um, North Star Camp for Boys and your North Star Fall Camp program. Uh, Andy, kind of, can you give us a little bit of an overlook of how that was set up and kind of what that looked like from your standpoint? We, uh, you know, every I feel like every year, parents at the end of the summer say something like, Oh, I wish they could stay the whole year and with everything going on in the world uh, and the respite that uh, the summer provided us here at camp, we figured, all right, why not give it a try, given everything. And uh, so we pretty much made it up on the fly and designed a, a six-week uh, resident program here at camp uh, using the same COVID protocols that had worked for us over the summer. And we had some better data and science to adapt to that. But uh, the idea was that the kids would be here for six weeks and uh, between remote classes and synchronous and asynchronous videos on, on, in school, that uh, recess would be the greatest recess ever and would include the climbing wall and the zip line and archery and water skiing when the weather permitted and worked its way into snowmen and snowball fights towards the end up here. Uh, so it was camp programs in the afternoons and weekends. They were on their own virtual schools with their home school. Uh, at home. So we, we weren't doing the actual schooling, the actual education. We were just holding them accountable to their, their schooling uh, per the instructions from their parents and their teachers. 
And I noticed that the whole overnight or, as you say, resident camp um, structure is kind of unique this time of year, obviously. And that's something that was unique that COVID had kind of presented itself with that a lot of students couldn't go to schools. Um, So that was really cool that you guys were able to jump in and take uh, advantage of that opportunity. And I saw that obviously you got a lot of media uh, pickup from that, you know, ABC and NBC. And I'm sure you know of many more, but that was really exciting. So um, yeah, great to hear. I'm sure we'll hear more about your programs here in a bit, but I appreciate you sharing. Uh, Liz, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Tumbleweed XL, which was your fall program for uh, Camp Tumbleweed in Los Angeles, California? Yeah, definitely. Um, So pretty similar to what Andy was describing, we had a really successful and safe summer. Um, We were under Uh, pretty strict protocols from the LA Department of Public Health and um, had a, uh, probably the first time I could say this, a like really enjoyable health department visit. Um, And they had, they just had really great things to say about the way that we were running our program. And so coming off of a really successful summer, we knew we were going to be going into a fall that kids were not going to be going back to in-person school. Um, Los Angeles Unified Public Schools uh, is the second largest school district in the country. It's where most of our campers attend school um, and they are still working on plans for even uh, virtual schooling. So to to put it lightly, there there was a lot of need for some kind of structure and we, um, we were getting just every single day when campers were getting picked up, parents were begging us please do something in the fall. We need something. We're not going to make it through. And so we opened up um, Tumbleweed XL, which is, which stands for expanded learning. Mm. And we designed it as a um, partner piece to the virtual learning. So campers come and do afternoons with us. They come here around one o'clock and they stay until five. And it is the in-person social emotional experience base to accompany their um, standard virtual learning that they're experiencing. Uh, and then we also decided that, uh, there were, there were, um, uh, components that they weren't going to be able to get in the virtual learning that seemed to be dropping off of the curriculums. Um, and that included things like art, music, uh, even like civics, uh, creative writing, kind of enrichment based things. And so we are providing, um, those experiences at camp. And so those of us that have those experiences, like I'm teaching civics, um, (laughs) is, um, we'll do that. And then we roll into our traditional camp activities. Um, it's all outside, uh, it's all unplugged. So they don't bring their, um, their work to camp. Uh, and it's been, just wildly successful. We have some campers that their schools have offered to go back to school and they have Mm -hmm. stayed with us instead of going back to school, which is going to be an interesting, um, uh, interesting thing to think about in the spring. Sure, absolutely. And that's funny you said mentioned spring because uh, I noticed that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Tumbleweed XL is actually going all the way until December. Yep. Are you, do you have plans of doing that in the spring as well? Or is it kind of just like, we'll wait and see? We are waiting to see. Uh, we really, there are a couple of, there are waves of schools that are getting waivers, especially for their younger grades out here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so kindergarten, 
uh, transitional kindergarten and first grade are some of the first ones to go back. And so I think a lot of schools are seeing how that works. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of our campers are privileged enough to go to either private schools or charter schools or some of the um, schools that are located in a higher socioeconomic location mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles. And so those schools and the parent base often have the wherewithal to um, get the waivers. And so we're kind of waiting to see what the end of the year looks like. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going with this program, we have one more month session. We did it by month. Um, so we have our November session that goes through the first week of December. Um, and then we are probably going to be taking January off mm -hmm. um, because even though you know, being in Southern California, we can be outside a lot. Uh, January and February gets pretty rainy and our camp road gets washed out. So. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Good yeah. Know. <laughs> Good to know. Okay, cool. Um, so um, I, another kind of a side question, uh, where do you uh, each get most of your campers from? Is it from your local community or is it from all over the state and maybe even from different states? In a, in a normal summer, obviously fall is going to be different. I think your answer will probably be a lot more exciting than mine. <laughs> sure. So obviously, you know, Liz, you've got a day camp, so I'm assuming that everybody's local. For us, uh, because it was a six-week resident program, we had kids uh, coming from all over the country. Uh, one of the challenges of, of our scheduling was that we had kids from four time zones, and, mm. uh, and so that made made programming around school schedules interesting uh, and we even had uh, some international campers as well from mexico uh, who were able to who were able to still participate in their school remotely so in a normal summer we have kids from all around the country and and at normal summer it's 24 we, we usually have 24 states and seven or eight countries at camp uh, through our resident program Gotcha. So, so with the fall program, then was it a little bit more um, locally based, or did you have to work with multiple different school corporations, or did you even have to work with school corporations? We we didn't work with schools uh, formally at all. Mm -hmm. um, we had to because the kids were able to do their remote learning as was set up in each of their communities. So it really the communities were self-selecting, and that it was the places that we're doing, we're either offering virtual school or mandating virtual schooling uh, mm. where the kids were able to opt in. Uh, and then what we did in order to make this work with the schools is we asked the parents to sign a letter uh, that we had created that said, hey, my child is gonna be under the supervision of the staff at North Star. They have permission to speak to the teachers or administrators or any school staff uh, in order to assist their daily work. Uh, but that was really all we had to do to, to partner with schools. Uh, I think the, the funniest thing that's happened, our, our kids went home on Sunday. On Monday morning, we, had a, we got an email to our, our, uh, to our director team and our educational coordinators saying that one of our boys wasn't in school this morning. Was everything okay? <laughs> and, uh, and so we emailed back and said, he's, he's not our responsibility anymore. That's the email his parents. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. That's awesome. Well, that makes sense After that... After six weeks of perfect attendance while they were at camp, home was a bigger struggle. 
Man, I can't blame him. I can't blame him at all, to be honest. I mean, it's hard to go back from camp to going to normal school. That's one of the reasons why I think these programs are so amazing. I mean, I'm trying to put, you know, 12 year old Kyle uh, in the shoes of these campers and how much how thrilled I would be to be able to go to programs like this. It's truly a blessing what you guys are doing for sure. Um, so, so Liz, I, I assume, and that makes sense, Andy, that's because your program is a residential, that it's not so much that you're intertwined with the local, uh, school corporation. Liz, is that kind of different for you, um, being, uh, having a lot of your campers coming from the Los Angeles area, or do you kind of, um, tie in with their school corporations? So actually for this fall program, one of the, um, challenges, I put it lightly because it, it really ended up being quite fine. But one of the things that we that we didn't expect was that so many schools were on different schedules, even mm -hmm. within the same district. Um, again, LA Unified is massive. They have about a million students. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, we, our campers are spread out across many schools, plus some of them are at private schools or religious schools. Um, and so that was one of the interesting challenges was trying to um, figure out the best like drop off and pick up time and, mm -hmm. and it ended up just being that parents um, and I, sh I should say too that throughout the course of the fall we've seen some schools go back we've seen schools change their schedules mm -hmm. and so we really were working mainly with the parents um, and just being flexible and letting them know, you know, we're here, this is the time that we have camp open and you can drop off throughout this time. Um, and also being mindful of if a student or a, a child was preparing to go back to school or participating in some other kind of in-person activity that we had a conversation with the family about, you know, the, the way that we keep our campers safe at camp has to be extended outside of camp. And that has to do with how much in-person activity um, and, and the protocols that those places are following. And so I think that often led to folks choosing to come to Tumbleweed in the afternoons versus doing this art class or this basketball program or whatever it is. Um, because it was the, the difference between how we are running and our protocols is seems like from what the parents are telling us a pretty stark difference from what they're experiencing elsewhere. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, that, that totally makes sense. And I think it's important for um, our listeners to know that these kinds of camps, um, they're not taking the place of schools. Andy said something similar. Um, they're, they're merely there to kind of come alongside and support uh, these students who are going through schools in such a weird time. So um, that's great. Thank you both for uh, sharing a little bit about um, that relationship with the, the, the school aspect of things. Um, you know, it's no secret that at camp, there's always work to be done. Some people might think, oh, it's only during the summers, but clearly there's things going on all, all year round. Um, now that you guys have both been involved in these successful programs during the, uh, I guess you could say non-peak season of summer, um, do you guys have any advice? Um, and we can start with Andy, any advice for um camps who maybe they don't have a fall program at all and uh, or winter retreats or anything like that. Uh, maybe things that they can look into. I know that you're in a kind of a colder climate, so it might be kind of interesting uh, for you, but um, any, any words of advice for camps who are thinking about um, supporting their camp communities in the off season? Well, I think, I think that's, you just hit on the, the best part of it at the end, right? This wasn't, this wasn't born out of anything other than finding ways to serve 
our kids when they needed it most. I, mm. I've, I, the end of uh, the summer is always sad, but I've never felt a heavier weight than I did this year, sending the kids back home and, mm. and not because they don't have wonderful homes themselves, but because they were going to be stuck inside them with so few opportunities to have the social emotional growth experiences that they need when they're eight and 10 and 12 and 16. I mean, it was, it was really hard to send them home this year. And so my advice is be community, community oriented and do what we can to support our families uh, because that's, that's what we're here for. And usually we carve out that niche in the summer for sure. But one of the best pieces of advice I heard going into the summer was that in the time of crisis, you, you take care of each other and you, and you figure everything else out later. And, uh, and so that was really the, the philosophy here. Did we have everything ironed out before we opened up registration for fall camp on how the day was going to work and, and you know, how the schooling was going to work and how every piece of it was going to go? No, certainly not. But we knew that uh, we could offer something that our, that our kids so desperately needed right now and would benefit incredibly from. And so this, the, if something is born out of that, I think the details then you can figure them out. They figure themselves out in many ways because they're so much less important mm. than, than giving to the kids what, what we can and what we strive to. That's great advice. That's wonderful. Uh, Liz, how about you? Yeah, as Andy was describing, I mean, the need is so immense. And while it's been amazing to be able to provide this program, it's a pretty small program comparatively to what we usually serve at camp. We're at, I don't know, a sixth of our capacity right now for this fall program. It's very small, but um, we, you know, even though we're able to serve those campers, it just... I think about all the other kids that I'm not able to serve because at the during the middle towards the end of the summer, campers and families were getting the responses from their school districts that they are not going back to school and they probably would not be going back to school if not from the rest of the the calendar year, but possibly maybe the rest of the school year. And that is like that was so devastating to those campers. And so when thinking about again, like, like Andy was describing, when thinking about what you can do with your space or with, with this new opportunity, I mean, it just gets down to what do your families need? What service can you provide? Because it's going to be a win-win. Um, and we, we approached in a similar way. The other thing I would say too is um, the climate for what families need and what they're willing to do to participate in something like this has dramatically changed. Mm -hmm. I would have being a day camp, we are in a fairly residential area. Um, and I would have never thought of doing kind of like an after school camp program mm -hmm. here where campers get dropped off because I would just imagine, Oh, LA families are not going to drive through traffic. Mm -hmm. They're not going to waste their time in the car driving up and down. Their schools have all this stuff going on. And I think now parents and kids to a certain extent have a much larger bandwidth for what they are willing to do to 
to have like a good afternoon to get a little bit back of what they had. And so one of my advice, one of my pieces of advice for folks that are thinking like, oh, well, we have this space and we have these campers and all this stuff is, um, you know, ask your families, what, what will they do? What do they want to do? What do, what are they looking for? What do they need? And take that at face value because mm -hmm. folks right now are, they're willing to drive an hour so that their kids can spend two hours somewhere. They are willing to be all outside and just be there. They're willing to pay money to just be in nature with mm -hmm. camp counselors like that. We, we have a, I don't want to say that the bar has been set lower, but it, the opportunities are, there are more opportunities now. And I think really go for it. Where in the past, you might have wondered, uh, are parents really going to go for that? Like they are, they absolutely are going to go for it. Very, yeah, absolutely. And, and parents are actively really seeking opportunities for social emotional health uh, for their kids. And so, um, you know, the ability to bring their kids to these camps, um, very beneficial for that, obviously, especially after months and months of just being locked behind uh, a screen or doing everything on Zoom. Um, yeah, but it's it shed a light. It's shed a light on the importance of what we do, and yeah, and it's made it it's made it uh, incredibly obvious. It's no longer the kind of thing you have to search for, uh, because when you when you take away those experiences naturally that they're having by interacting with other kids and adults every day outside of the home. Uh, the fact that we're doing that in such an intentional way at camps, uh, it just becomes so obvious to families when when the rest of it is taken away. Right. Yeah. A well silver said. lining for us as camps uh, amidst amidst the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Our president and CEO, Tom Rosenberg, he says, you know, kids need camp now more than ever. Um, and it's just so true. How are, so how are you feeling? I'm curious, you know, looking to 2021 summer, I know that you're both in different states and a lot of uh, rules in terms of who's allowed to operate and what kind of programs they're allowed to operate. That can be different. That's all unknown. But let's say there's all systems go in terms of, you know, following the field guide or whatever guidance your state puts in place. How are you feeling about running a, a summer camp next year? So we're, we're on track. I mean, it's, it is a, it is a strange position to be in having been one of the very few camps, at least in Los Angeles and not just in LA, but in the state of California to have run, mm -hmm. uh, we're in a really good place. And like, that's so odd to say, because I know that like the industry as a whole is not in a really good place. Um, and I say that because we are planning to run camp as if we are under the same restrictions in the same place we were in summer 2020, and that it can't get any worse than that. Our first week of camp was one of the highest uh, infection rates in LA County and one of the highest weeks of deaths from COVID that we had all year. And so we entered into our first week of camp during one of the biggest spikes, during the lowest point, and we were good and we were safe and we were diligent. And that was a really big part of it. And so going into 2021, um, we are gonna be opening up registration uh, like we normally do uh, mid-November. Um, we have a registration for our returning families. Um, we're doing, we're keeping pretty much the same capacities too as summer 2020, which is 
um, which is going to impact our registration greatly because one thing that we found was being one of the only players out there, we had a wait list for our registration almost as long as our enrollment. And so we might hit the end of the year or the end of January uh, for one of the first times ever full. Like that doesn't happen at day camp really. Like you just kind of keep on adding kids all the time. Um, and so this is a, it's an interesting situation for us where we're managing campers that came and stuck with us last year, campers that held over registration from 2019 um, and campers that were on the wait list that never got to come in. Um, so we're looking good. We're approaching it as if it's going to be the same protocols and the same severity and hoping for better. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly what we're saying. Uh, we've got to, we've got to be planning for a full COVID summer. And frankly, we have to be planning for the prevalence of COVID cases in children to be much higher next summer than they, than they were this year. And, and that's, that's why I think having these conversations remains really important. Uh, across the board. The likelihood of COVID coming into camps next year is higher than it would have been this year. Last year, the entire country was locked down for several months leading up to the summer. This year, most of those kids will be coming from schools. And and so in some capacity, uh, of course, barring, barring a, a fully distributed vaccine, we've got to be ready to do that. And I think, I think that uh, in the spring last year, as we were going through this, there was so much uncertainty and, and also so much fear. And uh, there's a lot still to be concerned about, but with more knowledge comes the ability to talk through some of those fears differently with our families. And so I think as an industry, it's very important that we move the, the benchmark of success to, uh, because I think everyone sort of thought the only way to succeed was to keep COVID out. And, and we now know, we knew then, but I think we now even better that's impossible. Uh, you could do everything right, and COVID could still sneak in. And and so, the, if we can move the if we can move that benchmark to success being prevention of transmission, preventing outbreaks, uh, to have NPIs in place so that with masking and distancing and keeping things outside and sanitation protocols and all the other ways that we've had to reimagine, that with with now a whole year to lead up to summer, uh, we have to be ready to have those protocols in place and work. So that we can hit that marker that if and when COVID comes into every one of our camps next summer, that we're able to prevent it from becoming an outbreak and, and from adding to the, the global health and the community health issue by mm -hmm. keeping it from spreading. I would just love to highlight something that Andy, that you just said about this. And, and I think this has been swirling around in my mind for a while, like, you know, kind of what is the diff, what is the difference going into next year as it was from last year? Because it is not the pandemic. The pandemic is not the difference. Um, and the protocols that we have to abide by are not the difference, but it's this concept of fear, like what you were saying. Last year going into it, I mean, every morning of camp, I woke up anxious as all as all go. Um, and like every single morning without fail, even though I knew exactly what I needed to do in case there was a case or in case the health department came and shut me down or all these things. And now going into next year there, the fear is not there. And I would 
I would just encourage everyone that is planning on running or thinking about running for next summer to understand that you do not have to be afraid of running next summer, but you do need to be diligent and you do need to stick to your protocols in your state or your county. And you, it's, it's, uh, it's not a gray area. It's black and white. You follow them and that's it. And knowing that there are those of us that have been, we went through this, not just for our own communities, but for everybody else too. I would, it would be such a waste of work to know that Tumbleweed, for instance, went through summer 2020 just for our own sake. So there are plenty of us out here that have had that experience that we are just ready to pass it off to other people so that you can replicate this in your own camp or in your own community. Because the we le- we've learned so much, and and the fear does not need to be there. Mm-hmm. And and I love that you pointed out that diligence is a por- is an important aspect of that. Diligence, uh, a culture of compliance, is one of the things we talk about here at ACA. Super vital. And I think that you know we're going to have some some research coming out this year as well that um, should prove to be encouraging for a lot of camps who are unable to operate camp this fall. And I do think there are some very fair reasons for a lot of camps out there. Um, you know, it could be. Uh, financially based there's 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 several reasons and you know every there was so much unknown going to end this year but you guys are right we've this we've learned so much from 2020 that uh 2021 the goal is to just have more camp for all and i think that that's a a beautiful thing to look forward to especially for these campers um and and kyle i think i think when you talk about what is the what does this winter look like and, and and thinking about next summer you know, I think we all need to become our, our own our own best uh, public health experts at mm. camp. And mm-hmm. and there's there's no excuse at the start of next summer to not have somebody or a couple people at every camp who really understand the ins and outs of communicable disease in general and particularly COVID. Because the same way you know what to do, three kids wake up in the morning with a scratchy throat in the same cabin uh, because you're worried about a strep outbreak, or if three kids end up uh, having stomach issues and you start worrying that it's norovirus, uh, everybody at every camp needs to be ready for, for the same things with COVID next summer. And so we've had lots of time to learn about strep throat and we've all grown up with strep throat and heard about norovirus and stomach blues and all those different things. And so this just gets added to that, at, to that menu now of, of, of things that we just need to be prepared for every morning at camp. One to, to kind of follow up on that too. One of the, you know, and I think a lot of folks out there will realize this, that there is so much that scientists are still learning about the disease that medical professionals are still learning about COVID mm-hmm. and the, you know, when do symptoms actually show up and the transmission and the symptoms can be so broad. And one thing to, to kind of go along Andy with what you're saying of having that plan is the communication out to parents and staff. Mm -hmm. That we, you know, this is what we're going to do for any assumed case. We're going to follow the guy, regardless of, because we're not doctors. We're not medical professionals. I don't run a medical camp. And so I had a couple of cases this summer where it was an assumed case of COVID. Someone had a scratchy throat, someone had a stomach ache, someone had a headache, and we just went through the protocols. And the reason why it worked was because we did so much education and back work with our families ahead of time. So then you don't have these families that are like, what do you mean you're sending home my child for a stomach ache? It's just a stomach ache. They knew. 
they knew what the process was. And so the more education we can do with our families and the better we can get about that communication and that open, transparent line of communication with campers and families and staff, the, the easier those difficult situations are going to be. Because if you can imagine, none of us are, you know, like I was waking up every morning anxious and, you know, feeling sick to my stomach about who, you know, who knows what new uh, craziness is going to be going on around COVID. We don't do that with like a cold or we don't do that with, uh, you know, if someone uh, uh, gets strep at camp, we know what to do. And that's because there's this education around it in the public as well. So the more we can create that, line of communication, that transparency, the easier those decisions are going to be. Yeah, that communication and the transparency leads to confidence, not only for the camps and the staff, but the the parents who are sending their kiddos. So um, yeah, that's really great. I love that you brought that up, Liz. Thank you. Uh, this is wonderful. Anything else that um, you think is important to share for um, camps out there who um, are either looking towards maybe doing some sort of programs to serve their communities in the off season, or maybe uh, things that they should, tips for looking towards summer 2021. That's kind of an unexpected thing that we ended up talking about that I think is really important. Um, any, any last thoughts on, on things like that? Sure, I, I think in, you know, as you talk about partnering with communities, uh, right now, camps are uniquely set up as facilities themselves mm. to, to be great locations, uh, things are meant to be outdoors. And, and if you can be outdoors, distanced and masked, you can prevent the spread of coronavirus and still gather and, and out for that. And uh, certainly, certainly, uh, you know, our, we've got ice on our lake and things are starting to freeze over. So it's a little bit harder to continue doing that through the winter. Uh, but in the springtime as, as it thaws and anywhere where you can, where you can do that at an outdoor facility, uh, think about ways to give kids the opportunity to be outside and interact with each other because it's, it's what they're starving for. Mm -hmm. I I'm going to come one... work at Tumbleweed XL for the winter. So, <laughs> as long as Liz, as long we as, as, as we I mean, really like, <laughs> We get a little bit of rain and it's just like gone. Um, you know, I think I would also say to um, get creative about who you're reaching out to in, in your community, in the community in general, because traditionally when we think about that, we're looking at schools as the partners or we're looking at um, even after school programs that already exist or maybe sports programs. And those infrastructures are so overwhelmed right now that you're not going to get that communication. So start to connect with parents that are either former campers or, or have sent campers to your camp before and connect with them and see where are the needs in their circle, excuse me, in their circles and build out from there. Um, because you know, for many of us who um, used to or maybe are running outdoor education programs, there's just such, there's just not going to be the funding and the bandwidth for schools to be able to focus on that this year. So get creative. Think about the services you can offer and the people who need services and figure out different avenues to go down to make those connections that maybe you would have had in the past. Um, like I said before, I, the opportunities are there. It's, it's a... Um, it's a high need market and it's, you have the facility, like Andy was saying, you have the facility and the wherewithal to provide a service um, so that we can get through this school year um, and, and hopefully end up 
at the beginning of summer 2021 in a little bit of a better place than we were last year. Thank you, Liz and Andy, both for the encouragement. Um, I think that um, I'm excited just hearing uh, your perspectives and uh, your success stories. And I really think that things are going to be looking on the up and up. And so thank you both for being uh pioneers and trailblazers during such a weird time. Uh, I know that there's a lot of camps out there who are doing amazing jobs, not only through summer 2020, but also in these fall programs. Um, they're finding ways to connect with those communities and just doing an amazing job. So thank you so much, Liz Kimmelman with uh, Tumbleweed Day Camp out in Los Angeles, California, and Andy Schlinski with uh, North Star Camp for Boys in Hayward, Wisconsin. So you guys are awesome. Really appreciate your time and uh, uh, thank you to the listeners. Uh, we hope that you can join us next time for Campwire. Once again, we really appreciate you listening to today's episode. If you have any comments or questions, uh, please leave them in the comment section. Uh, throw it a like or subscribe um, if you do so dare. And stay tuned for the next Campwire podcast. My name is Kyle Winkle with the American Camp Association. I hope you have a wonderful day and thanks again.